0: Welcome to the Pure Green Podcast, where founder of Pure Green, Ross Franklin, interviews inspiring entrepreneurs to uncover their key habits for success. Now, here's your host, Ross Franklin. On the podcast today, we have Mr. Johnny Franchise. Johnny, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Ross. Hi, thank thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Glad to be here
0: yeah so first off where do you get the name johnny franchise where does that come from
1: well it's a nickname right someone has to give you a nickname so my real name is john francis which is you know easy and i'm the youngest of five kids so growing up i was little johnny right and my family and friends all call me johnny my wife everybody who knows me calls me johnny and we're at a conference here in minneapolis a franchise deal a few years ago good friend of mine says, when I see you, I think Johnny Franchise, because he knows me as Johnny Francis. Anyway, everyone in Earshot who was there laughed. You know, we had a good laugh about it. I thought it was funny, you know, and it just kind of stuck. People were to me as John Francis, but I know I'm as Johnny Franchise. So it was like like an insider kind of thing. And someone told me some smart, you know, they say surround yourself with smarter people, right? Which is real easy for me to do, right? It's a great thing. So someone smarter than me said, you know, you, you know how lucky you are? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, that's gold, Johnny Franchise. You've got a brand in a category that fits. You know, it's who you are. So anyway, I, I finally embraced it a few years, you know, after that. And, and it's, it's fun. It's easy. It's, it's kind of who I am and how I do what I do.
0: Well, it's definitely a, a fitting name. You know, at all these franchise shows, you are like the mayor over there. Everyone knows <laughs> wow. you. Yeah, I've been around it my whole life. You know, I can tell you my background real quick. You know, Yeah, I, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into franchising. I grew up
1: in a franchise system, right? I went out, My dad was a barber here in Minnesota way back in the 50s. And in the 60s, they grew a brand here and it really worked. And someone said, why don't you franchise it? He said, what's that, right? And at the time, there were hotels and gas stations and restaurants and really not much else franchising. And they wound up franchising in the late 60s, early 70s. And it worked, right? They had good people working real hard, and they had figured out a great model and really innovated the salon industry, the barbershop industry back in those days. Long story short, it was a successful brand and turned into multiple brands, multiple segments and categories and products and beauty products and distribution and international. I got to do some of that after college. And acquisitions, you know, mergers. I mean, we did a lot of great stuff with a great brand and, and won a ton of awards. I mean, it was a, a very successful or from the 70s and 80s and 90s when I was around. And we wound up selling that business in 1999. We had just over a thousand stores and we were publicly traded, right? That was like when it was easy to be a public company, you know, a long time ago. We sold our business to Regis Corporation, which at that time was a consolidator for the whole industry. They had, I think, 4,000 stores, corporate stores, and they were just starting to franchise. And They had bought some big franchise brands. I mean, this is 25 years ago. So things have completely changed over there at Regis. But at the time, it was a really big deal, and we had a lot of fun with it. And my parents, mom and dad, who were both involved from the beginning, they won the IFA Hall of Fame Award. In 1998, which is you know fantastic. So I've grown up around IFA. I've been a franchisor. I was a franchisee in all of those brands that we had. And then since then, I've done a few of my own deals. I was real involved with Postnet as a franchisee and area developer. And then the franchisor. I worked with them. Great guys. Great concept. Back in the 2000s. And I think I sold my last deal in 2011. So 10 years basically in that brand. And then I did three or four other brands. I mean, it was in and out of different things. I got a knack for kind of fixing them and growing them. And I'm not really a startup guy in, in terms of, you know, stand up a new brand. I mean, there's plenty of good people who do that work. I'm more of a help you grow or help you avoid the trouble or fix it. You know, uh, sometimes I come in as like the guy who, and nobody wants to know I'm there. Right. They say, can you do this, but not tell anybody, you know, I have great confidence and discretion and, you know, I work with a lot of different brands over a lot of years and, and I've just had a lot of fun helping people try to get it right. You know, that's really all I I'm doing these days is more of an advisor, coach, consultant, you know, there's mastermind groups, you know, all kinds of things. An occasional speaker, you know, when I get the chance, it's kind of fun to to share what I know with people who are ready to have it, you know, and want to get it right and do franchising well. That's really what I'm, what I'm here for. So,
0: Well, super impressive. And just to kind of unpack a little bit of what you said, so you and your family built a, it was, you said it was a salon business to a a thousand units.
1: Yeah. The original brand was called the barbers, which was a kind of a men's upscale, fancy, expensive, high-end barbershop, which really didn't exist, at least not widespread. And it was built for barbers to be the owner, not just the hairdresser. Right. So it was like, run this like a business. Don't just work there. And which is franchising. And it took off. And then they created in the 80s, a brand called Cost Cutters, which at the time was, you know, right alongside us, Supercuts and Great Clips and Cost Cutters. You know, it was kind of a land grab, a race, you know, back in the 80s. And that worked out pretty well. We cranked on that and rolled it back to our existing owners and grew that brand. We had relationship with Walmart when the Supercenter was kind of a new retail model and then we did acquisitions. Um, we did four acquisitions domestic here, and the last big one was called We Care Hair, which was about 150 stores in 13 states. I got to lead that project. And then we did international. We franchised in Europe. Uh, master franchise agreements. We did joint ventures in Russia, which is, you know, I could tell you Russian stories from the the mid 90s when it was chaos really over there, but. We had a lot of good business, but all around the salon and franchising hair salons and everything around the beauty industry. And I mean, that's where I spent my my first 30 years of life was in that industry.
0: And with the thousand units, was that system-wide or that was just, that was system-wide?
1: I think we had almost 200 corporate stores and probably 800 franchisee stores across three brands. And, you know, we had about 380 franchisees. If I remember, it was... Not quite 400, but I mean, a big system. A lot of people with lots of stores. We had lots of multi-unit, multi-brand. I mean, we built systems that way. And back in those days, that was new. Some of the things we did as a brand, as a franchisor, really are now standards for franchising. And it was kind of fun to be on the front end of those kind of innovations back in the 80s and
0: 90s. And at that time, you were on the franchisor side? Yeah, mostly I was a franchisee
1: as well. We operated salons. I mean, that's what we were good at. So we had units here in Minnesota and we had stores with my brother and his operational team, right? He was more in charge of the franchisee side. I really worked on the franchisor side. And, and I was, you know, son of the founder, son of the boss, but still a publicly traded business. So we had a, a strong board of directors. We had outside professionals. I mean, the, the company had made that leap from entrepreneurial to professionally managed. And it wasn't always easy, right? My dad was this fantastic entrepreneur, a real visionary, just a great guy. And my first mentor and role model. I mean, what a what a lucky kid, right? And I grew up in this environment of just opportunity everywhere and learned how to actually put structure to the chaos is kind of what, by the time I was there, it was a lot of, you know, let's really make this go. You know, we got a great base, let's build it from here. And and that's where I, I got to do what, what we did. Uh, the whole family, a lot of people involved. I mean, it was, I can't really take any credit, right? I did my part and, and it was a successful outcome. But, you know, my career changed dramatically in the last 20 years, really. I've been kind of a free agent doing my own thing. And I've had a lot of fun and had my own success, independent of my family's, you know, what, the business I came from.
0: And so fast forward to today. So in the franchise world, you're active in helping both franchisors now as well as franchisees, correct? Right, right.
1: Most of my clients are franchisors. They're brands that, that are growing, or growing fast, or going through some kind of transition. Sometimes it's older brands, you know, all kinds of situations and opportunities. I say everybody's got something they could use some help with. And so I'm kind of a utility player. I, I can come into a situation and do an assessment relatively quickly. And I'm not really trying to buy anything or sell anything, or I just want to help people get where they're trying to go. So if I can figure out the situation, I work as a coach or an advisor, I serve on six boards, boards of directors, board of advisors for franchisors, and a couple of franchisees, but big franchisees, you know, sophisticated operations that have a lot at risk, and they put a board in place to protect that business. And it's really fun to have that kind of value and kind of impact without actually working there, right? They got great people that do the work and run that business, but a good board kind of helps give them some ideas and strategies and keeps them from going down the wrong path sometimes.
0: And with your clients who, who are franchisors, what trends do you see? Like, what are, what are you really helping them with? Do you see any common themes that a lot of these franchisors need help with?
1: What well, really depends on where they are in the the life cycle, you know, a startup goes through its kind of growing pains and, you know, who do you hire first and how do you generate leads and how do you sell franchises, you know, how do you open stores, how do you scale for that growth? You know, startup is kind of a a life cycle and depending on the people and the resources, you know, that can go real quick, It can go real, It can be, you know, horrible or wonderful. There's a lot of variations in that early stage. So I'm more most experienced in the next stage, the growth stage, where they've kind of made it to a certain level and now they really want to break through.
0: To be in a growth stage, how many units would you say? that? Well, it adds? depends on
1: the model and the industry, but I would say usually 50 kind of as a floor and on their way to 100 or maybe just passing 100 or, or 200. And, and I want to take them to double or triple the size and get to that 500 or 1,000 Because at those levels, then it's a different ballgame. You know, usually you get to three or four hundred, you can start to do things that you couldn't afford to do before. And those are the things that can really make a quantum leap in performance, which is what we did in the salon business, what I've helped other brands do. And, And to have those resources makes it a lot more interesting than when you're struggling at the startup phase. You know, it's a whole different environment. And it's fun to be able to recognize sort of how to get from one to the next. That's my expertise is having the range and, and the ability to point it out in a way that's you know doesn't make anyone feel stupid for not seeing it. That, that was a compliment. I, I was on a board meeting a couple of weeks ago and, and someone gave me a great compliment. They said, you help me see what I didn't see and you don't make me feel stupid for not seeing it. And I said, well, that's great. I guess, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's a, I guess a summary of a testimonial from a current client that knows me pretty well, so...
0: So with with some of these clients who are in the growth stage, let's say fifty to seventy five units, you mentioned there's ways to get them to three to four x their growth. Can you dial in on what those specifics are?
1: There's certain things, you know, trends, and I don't know uh, what you'd call them, but just there's things to look for, identify, and I don't want to say check the box, but like if a system is really going to make it, they've got some certain things. Number one, great people with high integrity. I've never seen anyone succeed who really didn't have high integrity and hard work, you know, the founders and the people behind the scenes, you got to have solid people with real values and hard work, number one. Number two, the concept has to have something of, you know, competitive advantage. Just another one that's a lookalike like all the others really is hard to compete. You know, you have to have something significantly better or different to add real value to give the franchisee the advantage at the competitive level, street level, so to speak. So something two or three, you know, the more of those kind of differentiators, the points of leverage and, and advantage for that model right? that's lasting and, and competitively strong, you got to look for those. You don't want to be just another one like the last one, because obviously they don't all make it, right? I think 80% plus never get to 100 units, right? Less than, I think it's 16% of franchise brands make it to 100 stores open, which is, just means there's a ton of carnage out there. That's the sad part, I guess, but it's the reality. Hopefully they get bought or converted or whatever. You know, we did some of that in the salon business, but I think there's plenty of room for a great model. So those emerging brands, they need good people, they need a great concept that really is competitively advantageous. Then the commitment to the franchisee, I think is, you know, people talk about it, but it's real easy to lose sight, right? Right. Some people get hung up on just growth and growth and growth, and they forget about quality and sustainability and profitability. And how are your franchisees feeling about all this growth? You know, It's one thing to open a store. It's another thing to be successful and have a lasting, growing, strong business that's making an impact. I mean, it's it's hard. Nothing's easy. So when they lose sight of the franchisees and really focusing on what they need to be successful and then managing that growth, because- franchisees are growing. When it's a new brand and they're a new owner, I mean, the concepts shift and change and there's a lot of chaos, so to speak. So you got to manage all of that growth and all of those different perceptions and perspectives. So having been a franchisor and a franchisee several times in multiple brands, those are the things, I guess. Maybe they're obvious, but sometimes they're hard to really understand and then really hard to correct. If you don't get it, you can't fix it.
0: Can you talk about the selecting process that franchisors use to identify and recruit franchisees? You know, I've, I've heard stories from some of these monster franchisors and some of the biggest ones, you know, their criteria for their franchisees was if you breathe on a mirror and this fog, you're in. Then you have franchisors that, you know, are a lot more strict in letting franchisees into the system with some of the best franchisors that you've seen what do you feel the best criteria is for franchisors to evaluate franchisees?
1: Yeah, a great question. And uh, I'll tell you, it depends. Nobody likes that answer, but it's true. In the beginning, you know, a lot of people use the mirror test, the fog of mirror test. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. Because when you're dying to make payroll next week, you, know, you want to take that franchise fee and sign that guy up. He's, he's good enough. You know, and that's, that's a problem. Because really, you don't need good enough. You need better than that, especially in the beginning. But it's a struggle and it's pretty common. So the criteria changes is what I'm going to answer. In the beginning, you want people who are good enough, who maybe have enough money, have enough brains, have enough ability to execute and follow. But you're probably not thinking about the, you know, most brands aren't thinking about the future five, 10 years from now. What do I need as a franchisee? What do I want as a franchisee? Because as your brand grows, and ex, any typical brand might build 5, 10, 20 units, and then things start to get exciting, right? And they're like, wow, we got something. So they might tighten up their requirements. They might raise their financial requirements or the liquidity. You know, we need you to have this much more. So it gets a little more exclusive because they've got the volume of leads and they, they want to pick the better candidates. And then as a brand crosses over to that next level, maybe they want to have multi-unit qualifications. Like, we're not going to sell One at a time. We're going to sell threes, fours, whatever. You know, different regional structures. So now you're looking for a regional candidate who has the capacity and and resources to bite off a a whole state, for example, as a multi-level or regional representative or an area developer. I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities as a brand evolves. Those qualifications can change. I think the fundamentals maybe is what you really want to know is are they good people and how do they make decisions. And how do they handle change? And can they communicate, right? Here's a great story I'll just share with about qualifying franchisees. One of my clients way back, he was kind of a contrarian kind of guy, right? So not, not your, he was great, brilliant thinker, but he would come at things the opposite way sometimes. And he said, you know what I do? And when I'm looking at a candidate who wants to buy my franchise, I get to know him, we go to dinner, we go through a meeting, you know, I spend a few hours or ask a bunch of questions, you know, he wants to know these people. He said, then I think to myself, if we're at the airport and there's a big storm and the airport closes, there's one room with two beds. Would I share that room with this person or not? He said, if I don't think I could share a hotel room for one night in some you know, locked out airport, then they're not my kind of people and I couldn't stand it. I don't want them in my room. That was his kind of mental test. is Could I share a hotel room for one night and get along? I thought, well, that You know, okay, that says a lot, right? Because, you know, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have to explain things, maybe, you know, how you're going to do it. So those are the kind of things to think about. You want to brand with the right people. It's always the people that make the difference. If the business performs well, they'll get the funding, right? If the concept is solid, you know, it'll innovate naturally. You'll get better. You'll get faster. You'll add new things. But you got to manage that growth and they have to be prepared for that growth and that managing and implementation is for the franchisees to really focus on that. So you got to have a clarity of purpose and, and perspective, but the people really matter more than, than anything else. So it, as careful as you can be and still hit your numbers in terms of managed, careful growth, I think that the specifics of that qualification can change over time.
0: Let's reverse this scenario now. So from the lens of the franchisee interviewing different franchisors, what should franchisees be looking at? What types of questions should they be asking the franchisor before they sign up?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. You want to look at it from both sides. As a franchisee, when I look at a deal or a concept, you know, first it's the people. Again, I guess that's my common theme is who are these people? Do they know what they're doing? Have they had any trouble before? How have they handled that trouble? I mean, it's okay to have trouble, but how do you handle it, right? What kind of people are they? And then, you know, what's the business look like? I really study the financials. Is this a sustainable business? Are they going to be around in a couple of years? Can they afford to make a couple of mistakes or is it real skinny and how are they capitalized? You know, you don't want to get, in, you don't want to sign on to a brand that really is self-destructing. You know, that's so Financial information and asking those kind of questions about, you know, the balance sheet of the franchisor, not just the concept. Then the concept, like I said before, something competitive, something sustainable, something relatively easy to implement or easy to understand, depending on how involved the owner needs to be. Right? If I'm a passive, I want to own it, not run it. Then it better be a manager managed operation. And then how many of those do you have as a franchisee? I would look at your concept and say, what you have today, is that the kind of business I really want to own and be part of? If it's an owner-operator-dependent model, then I better be prepared to get behind the counter and put on my name tag and get to work, right? Or if I'm dependent on sales, a lot of these are sales where the owner really does the selling. Am I capable of that? Do I want to do that? Can I think I'm going to be good at that? You know, what's dependent on the owner? How, how involved is the owner? Look for a model that suits your goals or your wants as a franchisee. Don't look for a model that doesn't fit. For example, I've seen brands where a guy comes into a brand and says, this looks great. I love it. Great people. Great model. Everything's good. They buy one. And they say, I'm going to have two or three or four of these. And I'm like, great. How many other people have two or three or four of these? And he said, none. So you're. let me just understand. You're going to be the first one to take this concept that's got lots of stores And now you want to make it a multi-unit model so you can have the managers and run it that way. He said, yeah, yeah. And the point is, it really wasn't built that way. And he didn't have the training and the support and the infrastructure. So if you want to be a multi-unit owner and have five or 10 of whatever the concept, how many other franchisees have five or 10 of the same concept? you You want to buy what they're already doing, not what you think they might be capable of in 10 years. You're buying what they have now. And then your job is to implement. So a franchisee needs to look for the people, the strength of the franchise or a great concept, obviously something they want to do. What's your role as the owner? And are you going to like that? Because that's what you're buying is, is that that role as owner. And usually it's execution and implementation. And then I think, look at the other franchisees. Are these people I want to be associated with? Because they're in your same business. And can I work with them? Can I learn from them? Can we share with each other? You know, what's the culture of that brand to so those franchisees? I say spend a day with a few of them and look what they do. And can you do that? You know, and would you be happy doing that? You know, I think some of that's real practical, but, you know, I don't know if that helps answer the point of view, what do you look for as a franchisee, all those things, and then put myself in there. And really, if you can try it on before you buy it, I spent a couple of days with a franchisee said, look, I'll buy you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If I can just ask you questions all day. And he said, "Fine, I'll be your shadow. You know, come on down." And, and I did it, right. And by the end of that, I knew that business, right? I was ready, and I bought the deal and went to training, and I, I was a high performer, right? Because I knew exactly what I was getting into.
0: What's your take on franchises that offer, you know, absentee franchisees versus hands-on operators? Out of all the franchises, what do you see more of? And with franchisees where do they lean? Do you think most franchisees want to be absentee owners or hands-on operators?
1: Well, it's a good question, Ross. And I think generally what I see is most unit-level franchises are owner-dependent, owner-operator. I mean, most things, the owner needs to be there or be very close. The true absentee model I don't think really exists. I know brands and some of my clients and people I've got great relationships with have a concept where you keep your day job And you run this business on nights and weekends, and there's a manager-operated model, right? And that's some people are better suited, but you still got to pay attention to that thing, and it's going to interrupt your schedule. I mean, you have to have some, either some great vacation time built up, (laughs) or, or you need a situation where if you need to attend to your business, you can do that and still keep your day job. Those are out there, but they're hard to find, and when they really work hard, they're hard to get into because I think everybody wants that. So most franchisees take a more hands-on, especially in the beginning, you got to know the business and you got to launch well to build a momentum to hire the talent, the manager, and then run that business. But I think most franchisees, as they get successful and scale through the next levels of franchising, they they might have one, two, or three. And then you hire a regional manager, you get four or five, and that gets a little easier to afford. You might want to build more in that brand and be a real multi-unit operator in a in a major market, depends on all the variables of demographics and resources and your capability as a franchisee. But then I see people want to buy a second brand and you got to do the whole thing again, but realize now I'm not just keeping my day job. My day job is my first brand. And now I'm adding a second brand. I mean, is that really smart? I've seen people not do that very well. Either they pick it wrong and they get distracted and pour a bunch of money down a a black hole or, or they get distracted, take their eye off the ball The second business takes off, but the first one really suffers and they wind up selling that and they keep one or the other. And you really, it's hard to do two unless you're really good. And there's some complementary, you know, points of leverage, I would say, where you can have things that are kind of look and feel maybe the back office and administrative structural stuff, but it's tough. It's tough. So I think that changes as a franchisee gets started and evolves through the brand and then scales that brand and then maybe considers other brands. There's a lot of points of leverage in a brand. If you get really good at, at a brand, I, I've seen more people have more success with just one, go real deep and get into more units and really scale that thing. Because once you really know a model inside and out, you can create a real high performer and then acquire other units in that system that they just don't have the ability or the, to scale. And so that's a great way to build a lot of equity. You know, But again, that's not for everybody. I mean, it's a lot of ways to do it.
0: That's great. Well, super interesting hearing your perspective on this. And just to wrap things up, I got two last questions. So can you just give us your best piece of advice? One for emerging franchisors, just if you can one sentence, what's your piece of advice? And then on the other side for franchisees, if you're talking to franchisees, what's your best piece of advice?
1: Okay. Well, that's a great question. For the franchisor, I would say, be careful and commit to your franchisees. If a franchisor commits to the franchisee being successful, they'll make it. Generally speaking, it will come back to them and multiply like crazy. So that's for the franchisors, is be careful and commit to your franchisees. For the franchisee, I would say the number one thing is implement, do not experiment. Run that business the way it was built to be run completely. Don't try new things and don't innovate without being very careful and talk to your franchisor. Let them innovate. That's what you are paying for. Your job is to implement, make it better and provide great feedback. But their job is to grow it and make it better. Your job is to run it and make the money. So that's the franchisee's point of view. That's a lot more than one line, Ross, but I yeah, hope you can edit great, that though. down. Maybe no, can... <laughs>
0: that, that was awesome. Donnie, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Ross. Anytime. I appreciate it as well.